the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Joining me is Marcy Schimmel, who is here to explain how we can experience happiness from the inside out, no matter what we are going through at the time. Marcy's approach to being happy doesn't depend on achievements, goals, money, relationships, or anything else external. Marcy is a number one New York Times bestselling author of Love for No Reason and Happy for No Reason. She's a woman's face of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, and she's a featured teacher in The Secret. Welcome, Marcy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Joan. I'm happy for a great reason to get to be here with you today. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. And you know, Marcy, so many people are setting intentions and they're making resolutions. What do you think about the resolutions we make when we're trying to change everything in search of happiness? Is this the yeah. way to go about it? Well, first of all, I applaud everyone for making uh, resolutions and intentions because everything that we want to create does start with intentions. And part of the problem is that we are not creating intentions from the inside out. We aren't following our passions. I really believe that we each have given a, a, some kind of marching orders here in this life and that if you check in with your heart, you'll know what it is you're here to do. And I know this sounds really airy-fairy, but I promise that we're going to get really practical in our time here together today. So I'm going to give you some practical tools to do that. Marcy, why do you think that everyone is looking for a quick fix for happiness? Why do you think that we're all searching for this? Why is it eluding us? Well, first of all, happiness is the one thing that people have wanted since time immemorial. Uh, it's Aristotle said happiness is the goal of all goals. It's the be-all and end-all of life. It's, it's why we want anything is we think it'll make us happy. The problem is that we're going about it the wrong way. And in fact, we actually have an epidemic of unhappiness in our culture. One out of four women in North America is on antidepressants. But there's good news. And the good news is that science has cracked the happiness code. We actually know what it takes for people to be happy. As far as I'm concerned, this should be headline news. <laughs> you know, it's not really that hard, and it's so important. You ask, why are, we, why are we going about it the wrong way? We have a myth in our culture that is all pervasive, and that myth is, I'll be happier when. Mm. I'll be happier when I have a better job. I'll be happier when I make more money. I'll be happier when I lose 20 pounds. I'll be happier when I'm with the perfect person, married to the perfect person. Actually, science has shown that none of those things will make you happier. We all have something called a happiness set point. And no matter what happens to us, whether good or bad, we will tend to hover around our happiness set point. So you get what you think you wanted and you're happier for a little while, maybe a couple months. But within a year, you've returned to your original happiness set point. So we have this myth that is leading us down the wrong alley. Success doesn't bring us happiness, but happiness will bring us success. Marcy, when I interviewed Gay Hendricks, who wrote a book called The Big Leap, he talked about a threshold for happiness. And when we go beyond that, we actually self-sabotage. And it was interesting because that was a real aha moment for me because I realized I do that. When I get too happy, I remind myself of something 
to bring myself down. Is that the set point that you're talking about? It, it is. Um, and I love Gay Hendricks and his work, and he calls it the upper limit. You get to your upper limits and you can't go anymore, getting any further because you're not used to things being better and so you self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very common. So what we need to do is actually raise our happiness set point. It's like a thermostat setting that you can raise or you can actually lower consciously. And let me just share with you a, a little tiny bit of research because to me this kind of explained everything. It's, it's about this happiness set point. It's 50% genetic. You're born with it. It's your DNA. It's only 10% your circumstances. Such a small piece of the pie, yet that's what everybody's running around trying to make better. The other 40% is your habits of thoughts and behavior. And that's the piece that you can do the most about to raise your happiness set point. Now, I'm going to take this a step further and say that there are scientists, progressive scientists in a field of epigenetics. Amongst them is Bruce Lipton, who wrote Mm -hmm. the Biology of Belief. And they say that that DNA piece, that 50% that's your, your your genes, your DNA, that can be influenced or changed by changing your habits. So that says that up to 90% of our happiness set point can be influenced by changing these habits. I call them happiness habits. And there are some specific happiness habits that you can change right away to raise your happiness set point. Number one is to move from what science calls the stress response into what's called the love response. These are physiological states that have different brain activity, different heart rhythms, and different biochemistry. And according to a group called the Institute of Heart Math, you can do some simple practices to move you into the love response. They say that five minutes in the stress response can suppress your immune system for up to six hours, Mm. whereas five minutes in the love response can strengthen your immune system for up to six hours. So I want to do a little experiment with everybody. It's it's only going to take us about a minute or a minute and a half. And and I want you to see if you feel any different. Is that all right, Joan? Okay. Okay, Joan, I'm going to ask you to be my guinea pig on this. (laughs) Okay. So that means in a minute and a half, I'm going to ask you how you feel any different. Okay. So in this process, and I want everybody to do this along with us because it's no fun to do this, to just listen. So I'd like you to, if you can, close your eyes. And if you can't close your eyes, it's fine, no problem. But if you're able to right now, if you'd close your eyes. And this is three steps. The first step is to simply place the palm of your hand on your heart. Now that simple act of putting your hand on your heart starts the flow of a chemical called oxytocin. And oxytocin is dubbed the love hormone because it's what we have more of when we are feeling love. But just putting your hand on your heart right now is starting the flow of oxytocin in your body. Now, the second step is to imagine that you're breathing in and out through the center of your heart. So just picture or feel that your breathing is coming into your heart and going out of your heart. At your own pace, you're breathing into your heart and out of your heart. And now finally, the third step is on each in-breath, imagine that you're breathing in love, ease, and compassion. On your exhales, you can just exhale normally, but each time you take in a breath into your heart, breathe in love, breathe in ease, and breathe in compassion. And just exhale normally, and you can either say the words in silently to yourself, love, ease, and compassion, breathing them into your heart, or you can remember a time when you felt those. So one last time, breathing into your heart, love, ease, and compassion. And on your next exhale, you can slowly open your eyes if they were closed. And you can take your hand away. And I want you just to notice, how do you feel different now than you did a minute and a half ago? And Joan, you're my guinea pig, so tell Mm -hmm. me, how do you feel any different? I feel much calmer. I feel more centered. I I really do feel more relaxed. And now I have to do this interview with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing that I want to point out. That's great. All of those are symptoms that you've moved into the love response. And that doing this one time is not going to change anybody's life. It's just a nice experience. But here's what can change your life. If you do this two or three times a day for the next few weeks, you start to make a habit of being in the love response. Your body starts to remember it. So it becomes more and more your default state. So what I recommend is every day, sometime in the morning, sometime in the afternoon, sometime in the evening, just take a minute, do this little simple inner ease technique. It's called it. I do it while I'm standing in line at the grocery store or while I'm sitting on the phone with somebody Nobody even has to know that you're doing it. Marcy, the people who are truly happy, what do you think they know that we don't? Mm. The only difference, and I've interviewed thousands of people who are what I call happy for no reason, meaning they have an inner state of peace and well-being that doesn't depend on their circumstances. And the one thing I've discovered that's different about them than about everybody else are these habits. They have different habits than we do. 
So one of them is they've learned ways to physiologically put themselves in that love response. And we, we just did that. That's one thing. Number two, gratitude. Mm-hmm. They spend much of their time in a state of gratitude. There's a saying, what we put our attention on grows stronger in our lives. And when you're focusing on what is working, you get more of that. When you're focusing on what isn't working, you get more of that. So it's not that happy people don't have problems. They do. It's that they're really grateful for whatever is working for them. So there's research that's been done that's shown that just writing down five things you're grateful for every day at the end of at the end of the day within a month that will raise your happiness set point simple simple practice marcy you were a teacher in the secret and that was about the law of attraction just if you could give a a, a brief 101 on the law of attraction and how does that relate to happiness great great question thank you for that joan so the the secret, um, which was a movie and a book all about the law of attraction, it swept the world. I think a billion people have either seen or read it. A billion. Um, it's about the law of attraction is based on the idea that everything in the universe is made up of energy and that we draw to us or attract to us based on our energetic vibration, the energy of our thoughts, our words, our feelings and our actions. And so what we find is that when people are happier, and this is how happiness relates to this, happiness is a high energetic vibration. When you are actually living in this greater state of happiness, and I'm not talking about some Pollyanna state of like la-la land. That is Mm -hmm. not what I mean. I mean about habituating a, a higher state of happiness through these simple practices. When you are living from that state, you are vibrating at a higher energetic level and you're able better to attract or manifest what it is you want more of in your life. One of the things I read that you tell people is don't believe everything you think. And I love that statement. What do you mean when you say don't believe everything you think? Well, just because we have a thought doesn't mean that it's true. Mm. We've tended to think, you know, our thoughts are our gospel. They're not. Our thoughts are just, they're patterns. They're neural pathways that were developed in our brain at a very young age. And the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day. And for the average person, 80% of those are negative. We inherited this, psychologists call this the negativity bias. We inherited it from our cavemen ancestors who had to remember the negatives or they would die. We no longer live in that kind of a, a condition where we've got to like remember about the tigers that are out there. And yet we still live in this state of negativity bias. One of my colleagues, Rick Hansen, uh, calls it the Velcro Teflon syndrome, where he says that our minds are like Velcro for the negative. They just stick to us, but they're like Teflon for the positive. The positives just slide off of us. What we want to do is reverse that tendency. We want to have the positive stick. And according to the scientists, they say it takes 20 seconds for a positive to stick long enough to create a new neural pathway in the brain, much longer than it takes for a negative take hold. The negative just very quickly takes hold and and stimulates the neural pathways of negativity. But a positive we have to really ingrain. And that's why this concept of gratitude is very, very helpful to to create new neural pathways in the brain. One of the people that I interviewed for Happy for No Reason, she actually uh, has a little practice that she calls the the Daily Academy Awards. You have to be on the lookout for what to appreciate. And so she pretends that every day she's going to give out five Academy Awards. She's going to be on the lookout for what to, what to appreciate. And it, it's just a, a simple game she plays, but it's to, to really ingrain these positive habits. And, and Joan, there's one I, I have to make sure that we get in because people always want to know what's the fast track to greater happiness. And I have to say that if there was one answer to that, I would say it's this one word, forgiveness. We cannot have greater happiness in our life when we were holding on to old anger and resentment. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you need to let another person back in your life who harmed you. Not at all. Forgiveness means you still have boundaries, but it means that you have learned to let go of any kind of resentment that you have for your own sake, not for the other person's sake. If you would like to get more information about what Marcy's been discussing, you can visit her website, happyfornoreason.com. And as always, you can visit our website, CYACYL.com, which stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. So, Marcy, give us a final thought. What's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? I would love to, to end with this final thought. People always ask me, isn't this selfish to want to be happier? What about the world? Don't we have to save the world? And my answer is, 
that the most important thing you can possibly do to help the world is to focus on your own happiness first, because when you're happier, you influence all the people around you, your family, your friends, and ultimately, you have an impact on the world. And so I'd like to leave you with this Chinese proverb that sums that up, and it goes like this. It says, when there is light in the soul, there will be beauty in the person. When there is beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. When there is harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. And when there is order in the nation, there will be peace in this world. And that is my prayer and my wish for each of us, that we feel that light in our own hearts and souls. And through that, we help create peace here on this planet of ours. Thank you, Marcy. It has been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you, Joan. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Today is Dr. Katherine Berndorf, co-founder and medical director of the Motherhood Center, a treatment center in New York City for pregnant and new moms experiencing anxiety and depression. She specializes in treating women before, during, and after pregnancy, as well as at other times of transition in their lives. Dr. Berndorf is an associate professor of psychiatry at Cornell. She was a regular mental health columnist for Self Magazine and has appeared on numerous television programs, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, MSNBC, and CNN. She is the co-author of the new book, What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. Dr. Berndorf is here today to discuss breastfeeding. Welcome, Dr. Berndorf. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Catherine, how important is it for a mother to breastfeed? And if it is, what are the benefits? Oh, I feel like it's almost a trick question, Joan. Um, How important is it? It is important if it is important to you and you want to do it and it works out and it's good for you and it's good for the baby. Then that's a wonderful, perfect-ish kind of scenario. But I think what I'd say is you got to feed your baby one way or another. So I want to flip it a little bit and say babies need to be fed. Fed is best. How they get fed needs to be appropriate, but it certainly doesn't have to be by breastfeeding, right? If it is, wonderful. And if that works out, terrific. But I find myself in a very funny position often as a reproductive psychiatrist telling women that they're actually feeling worse because they're breastfeeding, even though they think that the bonding that's going on during it is essential. And what will happen is, you know, again, I, can't, I see a population of women sometimes that are, are quite, quite depressed or quite anxious, and they're holding on to something that is adding to their stress and to their illness. And that makes it very, very hard to breastfeed, quote, effectively. And when I say that, I mean, what are what is the baby getting for that, right? There's this idea, a very popular idea right now, that, that breast milk is better than formula. I don't know that that is actually true, right? There was this idea, like, how many IQ points will my kid lose out on if I formula feed them? Will they... Will they gain immunity if, if I don't breastfeed? I mean, there, there are some real questions. The IQ one, I take issue with. And I don't think it has been 
um, definitively proven. In fact, there's there's more recent studies saying that, that that is not the case and certainly not to the extent we once thought it might be. I, I support breastfeeding. This is not a um, to say that people shouldn't try, particularly if they want to. And, and it's something they 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 work will work hard to do. But it, I, I would also say it's not for everybody. I can remember when I had delivered both of my sons, there was a lot of pressure put on me to breastfeed. And with everything that a new mother is going through, it really, it, it just adds to so much stress that they're experiencing at that time. Yes. Again, a very common experience, John. It, it's, it, it, these days, again, in 2019, it's a very common in hospitals after women deliver to be really pushed towards breastfeeding um, without the the idea that you don't have to or that you have a choice or that um, or, 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 you know, women have told me that they're not offered formula if they if they ask for it or they're they're judged if they do. And, you know, I, 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 I hate to say I take issue with that because I think it's I get that it's a, an amazing thing to be able to do in many cases for both mother and child. And I do think there are benefits, tremendous benefits of it. But I think that pushing anything is potentially problematic and deciding that there is one right way really doesn't make sense. Right? It is, it is not so clearly superior that, we need to, uh, you know, insist that it be the one and only way to do things. And and when something is treated that way or conceptualized that way, there's pressure and there's shame um, when it doesn't happen. Catherine, is it always easy for a woman to breastfeed? No. I, I would say, well, there's this fantasy that you're just going to pop the baby on the breast and it's they're going to know how to latch and suck, and it's going to go easily. I mean, that'd be great. And guess what? For some people, there is they they do have that experience. But I'd say for the majority of people, it's something to learn how to do. And then for those who can stick with it, given their circumstances, it it, it gets easier and much more um, becomes more natural. But I don't think it's sort of like becoming a mother, isn't it? just an easy, natural thing to do. No. And I would say the same with breastfeeding. It's not just an easy and natural thing to do for the majority of women. It takes, it takes time to figure it out, both for you and the newborn, and to get to a place where it is, feels easy and natural. And, and even then, you know, what's it like for you? Does it make sense in the context of your life for this particular baby, et cetera, et cetera? So, Catherine, understanding that it isn't always this easy, natural process that we believe it would be and that when it doesn't happen the way we expect it to, we tend to feel like a failure. And so when a woman experiences those feelings that she's less adequate and and not able to be this, quote unquote, perfect mother right from the start, what advice do you offer that woman to help overcome those types of feelings? Well, I think again, knowing that it that it might not go as planned. So this idea that being flexible, again, if your personality style is more flexible than the next person, you're probably, you know, in, in, in reasonable shape. But but there are many of us who are controlling and a little bit rigid about how we do things and want it to go just the way we thought. So that's that's gonna make for a tough time if it's not going well. But but I would say if it if it's not going well it's probably not your fault. Um, and, and to not blame yourself and to assume in a self-critical fashion that, that you're bad and defective and it, you know, it, it cuts to your core, you know, it's a skill that you learn. And, and again, it's not easy or doable for everyone for a number of reasons. Some of them anatomical, psychological hormonal. I mean, there, there are a multitude of reasons why it may or may not work so well, but that doesn't mean you're defective or you're bad. It just means that, that it may be more of a struggle for you than the next person who's going to have a struggle with something else. 
And if we could not judge ourselves and if we could cut ourselves some slack and just say, ugh, it's not working, it makes me feel bad, but it doesn't make me bad, right? Yes, you may feel bad. Yes, the message may be, or you really wanted to do it and it's not working. And there's loss in that, right? So you're allowed to feel bad, right? Feelings are legit, right? You, you, if, it, if, if you're feeling upset and sad or, um, about it, that's real. But to have that define you or say something about you that you're not good enough is, is actually unrelated, and, and sometimes it, it, it takes talking about it with someone that you trust, who's, you know, supportive, who's non-judgmental, who can kind of help you see that, right, that it's okay. It, it, this, this didn't work out so well. Let's figure out how to get this baby fed and how to find time with that baby, if that's what you were really, was so important to you about the breastfeeding, you know, figure out how, what feeds you're going to be on and how you're going to do it, you know, just. I think organizing around a new system starts to help people feel like, okay, I got this. I can, I can get back in the game and I can still be connected to this baby who I thought needed to have breast milk in order to be my child. Not true. Again, talking about it, sharing how you're feeling, getting support from people who are non-judgmental, so that you can get through the loss of something that you wanted to do that's not working out. The book is What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. If you're interested in this topic or others like it, they are covered in this book. And, and if you would like to get more information about Dr. Berndorf and her work, you can visit themotherhoodcenter.com. And as always, to hear more from Dr. Berndorf, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Catherine. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a friend's child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boys spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, but on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole, an oval in a circle, a square in a triangle, a rectangle in a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life, work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak, and disappointment soon followed, then blame. Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work, no matter how hard we push or on what angle. It would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with the circle because it didn't fit in the square. We recognize the shapes as being different, so why do we make those claims about people? Why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful, thinking about what could have been? Perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy, unique with our own characteristics, perfect in our design, but not always a fit no matter how hard we try to squeeze it together and how much we want it. Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, but with their own purpose, beauty, and value perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. 
For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. In a moment, cancer changed our lives forever. At this moment, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything, ever. At this moment, she wants to be in her own bed. I want to be back at school with my friends. I want to be outside playing. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Does this sound familiar? You take care of everyone else first. You don't make self-care a priority. You hate asking for help. If you answered yes to any of these questions, you're not alone. According to our next guest, Suzanne Falter, no matter how busy or frazzled you are, you can get back to you. Suzanne helps those suffering from trauma, grief, and burnout find wholeness and fulfillment. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Women's Day, and Self, among others. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so much for joining us. Delighted to be here, Joan. Thank you. Suzanne, let's begin by talking about you and what happened in your life that put you on the path to doing the work that you do today. <laughs> okay. It's, um, it's, it's a story, all right. So uh, I was a committed, driven workaholic, completely disconnected from myself overproducing in every corner of my life and not taking much time to really take care of my true deep needs back in 2012. And in very short order, the business I had built burned out because I had too much work and I couldn't sustain it. I started to have some health problems and simultaneously the relationship I'd been in for a year and a half ended and I had just moved in with this person and suddenly I'd lost the place I was living as well. So all these things happened and I was in a kind of a chaotic space. And then my daughter, my 22-year-old daughter who had moved to San Francisco to become a healer and kind of pursue this esoteric thing she wanted to do and she was basically living with me. Uh, she dropped dead from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. And I had had dinner with her a few hours earlier. She was acting a little weird. Um, as it turns out, she had epilepsy, very well controlled, but one in a thousand epileptics can die very suddenly like this, mm-hmm. something called SUDEP. I didn't know about it, nor did she. Nobody had ever told us about this possibility, but there I was. And six days later, we had to take her off life support and her life ended. And during that time, that six days, I became incredibly aware of what a critical moment this was in my life. And that if I was going to live and she was going to die, I was going to have to redo my life to be in balance, to be whole. And I was going to have to live my values. I was really into the money before this happened, which is one reason I worked so hard. And the minute she died, money became intensely unimportant. And everything I really cared about came into very sharp focus. And I felt myself really being called forth to become a better, stronger person, very much like she was, because Teal was the opposite of me. She was really a grounded, loving, compassionate person, couldn't have cared less about possessions or ambition or money or any of it. She was very present. She would travel around the world with her little guitar and some cash in her pocket from waitressing. (laughs) She was a musician, so she played and sang on the streets and all sorts of cities. And she was just really very present in the moment. And um, I learned a lot about how to get back to myself and how to live in a much more self-compassionate way in the two years of grief that followed. Because for two years, Joan, I did not work. I just took myself totally out of the equation. And I focused on having a life that was meaningful and, of course, grieving and really getting back in touch with what I needed here and now. And that was Teal's legacy because she taught me how to do that, which was really learned from her journals, which she left behind. Suzanne, I had a similar experience. It wasn't 
with the loss of a child, but in a period of six months, my 23-year marriage ended, my mother died, and my sister died, and that was the start Mm. of all Mm. of the work Mm. that I'm doing. So I understand everything that you're saying. I had similar realizations, but what I want to ask you is, knowing what you need to do and actually doing it are two very different things. How did you pull yourself out from that grief? I really felt like her death was so shocking and so radical that there had to be a lesson in it for me. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think she just died in vain. I really felt like my job now as a mother was to become a better person, the kind of person Teal was. And this was how I was going to fulfill her legacy. Because like I said, she wanted to be a healer. Nobody really knew what that meant, including her. But she kept saying, I'm going to get this big healing gift. This healing gift is going to come to me. And we kind of like, you know, nodded politely, right? But in fact, here I am teaching people about self-care and sharing little pieces of her journal and the lessons I learned after her death, which is healing work. And I feel like I found the purpose in that crisis. And then all those other factors, the bad relationship, the stressing, stressful job, the home that wasn't a right fit, all of it was taken away to deliver me to my right place. And I did a similar thing. And David Kessler, who worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and, and he's a grief expert, and he recently published mm-hmm. a book, The Sixth Stage of Grief, which is meaning. And he developed another oh. stage to the mm-hmm. model. And, and that was what I did. I found this work. And I believe that there had to be a reason as to why I went through all of those things. So I think finding meaning is really a key to healing. Yes, we're ready for this message as a, you know, culture, as a group of people, as a, as a society, we're ready to delve into issues of meaning. And we need it. And we need self-care more than ever, because the times we live in are intensely stressful on all fronts. And I know that I experienced extreme mental exhaustion. I didn't know how to move forward. And you and I are talking about extreme situations of grief, but people can feel this way from a variety of life situations. So what do you advise to combat that mental exhaustion? It's so critical to begin with the question, what do I need right now? One of the things um, I write about in the book is to tune into yourself, to ask yourself, what do I need right now? My premise is that we have um, been, we were born perfectly aligned. Every little cell in our body was attuned towards telling us what we need and helping us get that. And that would keep us in optimal running condition. But then life happened, right? And we grew up and we had traumas and stresses and responsibilities and all of that shifted And as women, especially busy women, we are often much more conditioned than the less busy women to saying yes and putting other people first. So a lot of my work is around helping people get back to their inner knowing, to that sense of alignment. And it begins with asking yourself habitually, what do I need right now? And then maybe it's a drink of water. Maybe it's something simple. And you can go out and arrange that for yourself, and it'll give you just a little bit more clarity and perhaps confidence to prioritize yourself again. And eventually, the question gets answered with, I need a new relationship, or I need a much more interesting job. And eventually, we begin to gain in our empowerment and our ability to create what we need. And then I would assume we would set better boundaries. <laughs> right? Hopefully. <laughs> and, you know, I have to do several chapters on boundaries and conscious decision making and making requests and things like this in the book. Because seriously, when we don't have boundaries, everything falls apart. And it is so easy to not have boundaries because often, uh, as in the case of my childhood, I had to take care of the adults in my house. So I didn't have any boundaries. I didn't know what a boundary was, you know, and I... I was just kind of a a little doormat by the time I became an adult. And I've really had to learn how to do the uncomfortable thing of taking that step and saying no where indicated and holding space and being polite. You can be firm. You can always be kind, but you can be strong as well. And I was always afraid to be strong. And I really learned how to be strong and how to set some boundaries. And, you know, in that two-year period, I had some people around me who presented some boundary challenges. And I had to be very, very clear 
it was like uh, there were three different people in a row who really pushed my boundaries. And it was like the universe was giving me a test saying, come on, can you do this? Show us again. Let's see if you can really do this. And, and in fact, boundary pushing opportunities will arise when you commit to the idea that you are worthy and you deserve self-respect and the opportunity to say no when necessary. The book is The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. Suzanne, where can our listeners go to get more information? Well, I have a website, Suzanne Falter, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-F-A-L-T-E-R.com. Suzanne, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? At the end of your life, will you feel you took good enough care of yourself? At the end of your life, will you feel like you could serve the people around you really, truly effectively, even by taking care of yourself? And the answer always is yes. If you give yourself that chance to tune in and say, what do I need right now? Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. It was a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Many of us have spent more time video conferencing in the last few months than we ever have. I believe this will lead to more video conferencing in the future. Are you ready? This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Video conferencing has become the new way to communicate for businesses, doctor visits, happy hours with friends, and family get-togethers. There are a lot of platforms out there, including new ones added by Facebook and Google, but the majority of people have been using FaceTime and Zoom. Here are three quick tips for making the best of your face-to-face in online meetings. One, be engaged. There is nothing worse than hosting a meeting of people who either show up late, are eating full meals while we all watch, or who don't show up on video and just have a name or a photo hanging out there. It makes you wonder, are they really listening? So if you're going to be on, please be engaged. Two, do a test run. Before you get on a big meeting, jump on that platform if you can and test your speaker and microphone. How do you sound? Is there someplace you can sound better while you're on the video? How do you look? Is there some lighting around that could help illuminate your face so people can see you better? And finally, what are you wearing that can be seen on screen? You would be surprised how wide some of those camera shots really are. Three, be kind. We're not all tech wizards. We forget that we have to unmute our audio when we're talking. Sometimes we don't have a nice space to sit in and the background isn't really what we want it to be. So be kind to others. The next time, it could be you sitting in your laundry room. If you need help with your social media for business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Do you suffer with heel pain? Hi, I am Dr. Anant Joshi, a podiatrist from Woodland Park, New Jersey, practicing at Advanced Foot Care of NJLLC. According to the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgery, plantar fasciitis is the most common cause of heel pain. The condition occurs when the plantar fascia on the bottom of the foot becomes inflamed. This ligament is responsible for supporting the foot's arch. Risk factors include being obese, having a very high arch, having tight calf muscles, and participating in activities that create stress on the heel bone. Activities such as running, jumping, certain workout routines. Most people can manage plantar fasciitis with at-home treatment. Resting the foot and applying ice can reduce inflammation. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen or naproxen can help with pain management. Stretching the muscles of the leg thoroughly before and after physical activity, as well as throughout the day, may help to reduce the heel pain. Wearing supportive shoes as well as custom-molded orthotics can also help relieve the heel pain. If an individual's plantar fasciitis does not get better with these treatments, see a podiatrist for further treatment options. In today's medical world, there are several non-surgical options available to get rid of plantar fasciitis permanently. If you would like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. Are you having trouble staying on track? Could you use some tips? Hi, I'm Jessica L. Conrad. I'm a certified life coach and a member of the ICF New Jersey. I help women at a crossroads in life find clarity and direction. I also work with women who are dealing with infertility and reproductive disorders. Now more than ever, it's important to plan for the future to create the life you want to live. Here are some tips to stay on track. Number one, get clear on your needs and wants for the months and years ahead. Two, be mindful of your self-talk. Get rid of words like I can't or I should. 
Number three, let go of the old to let in the new, whether that's old stories or bad habits. Number four, don't strive for perfection. Number five, take action. Stop thinking and start doing. To learn more or to book a call, please visit my website at jessicalconrad.com. Or you can follow me on Facebook at Jessica L. Conrad Life Coach. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site. New shows drop every Monday. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today to talk about telemedicine is Lori Gardner, a registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. Lori assists people with all aspects of their health care. Welcome, Lori. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome, Joy. Great to be here. So, Lori, in the wake of coronavirus, we're hearing so much more and more now about telemedicine. Can you explain to us what telemedicine is? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So telemedicine really refers to the practice of caring for patients remotely when the provider and patient are not physically present with each other. Modern technology has enabled doctors now to consult patients by using um, HIPAA-compliant video conferencing tools like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, or even using FaceTime on your iPhone. The provider can be your physician, nurse practitioner, therapist, or specialist consult. And it's really working out very well in COVID. We've been involved in a lot of these calls. More and more patients are actually collecting medical data at home, Joan, with apps that track blood pressure, weights, fitness goals, and more, and actually can be sent sent electronically to their physician prior to a telemed visit. And that really makes the, the visit more efficient. But historically, I actually looked back. It's very interesting. Telemedicine has been around for a long time, even as far back as Alexander Graham Bell's time with the phone, and they figured out with the phone they could actually communicate health information. So uh, it goes back to the NASA space program. It was used in the Mercury space program initially when NASA began performing physiological monitoring over a distance on their astronauts. Uh, Rural areas really have used this tool for a while just because they don't have a lot of access to um, healthcare too close. And so that's been um, expanded. Now, COVID-19 has changed everything. Medicare has in the past covered telemedicine visits for only rural um, areas. But now Medicare quickly hopped on board with telemedicine, Joan, with COVID-19. You know, they limited in the past. It had to have a lot of restrictions if you had a telemedicine call, depending on your location, licensing requirements, and HIPAA. Medicare and and other entities have let go of HIPAA a little bit during COVID so that we could amp up this telemedicine so we could connect to the people that really needed the care. So starting on March 6, 2020, Medicare covers these visits as if they are an in-person visit in any location. So You know, during this pandemic time, these telehealth visits have taken place on iPhone, FaceTime. We've done them with our clients, as well as Zoom calls, Microsoft Teams. It just depends on the physician practice and what they do. So these can be used for follow-up visits, managing a chronic disease, medication management, a specialist consult that you need kind of in a hurry, and a host of other clinical services. They are provided remotely with the patient at their home via secure video connected to the provider. And... I believe medicine, telemedicine is here to stay, Joan. As nurse advocates, we have participated in many of these calls, and our clients and providers have really benefited from this. Occasionally, they do need our assistance, especially with seniors. The people we've spoken to and some of the literature out there says that patients really like this because it is um, less time away from work or home, you know, less time away from any responsibilities they have at home in terms of child care, senior care. It provides a little more privacy and no exposure to other potentially contagious patients. Some of the docs have really said, you know, we really enjoy this because it makes us a little more efficient. And uh, on some levels, it can connect. Sometimes it's better if you have a relationship with that physician first. It's a better connection. But they also have been uh, pleased with it. So all in all, I think it's here to stay. We've been happy with it. It doesn't, of course, replace the in-person visit for certain things like physical exams and so on, but more to come with all of that as we unfold this all. 
Lori, what should a person do in order to get the most out of their visit? Well, Joan, it is uh, extremely important to be prepared. When I say be prepared, I mean they need to liaise with their physician's office and really clearly understand the technology involved. They may need to download an app. They need to get set up ahead of time. We always recommend that they do a dry run, you know, the day before so that they know that they have the equipment set up. You know, it's important to have those apps downloaded ahead of time, kind of, you know, just know how it works. Kind of find a quiet space with some decent lighting. We've had incidences where we've had uh, calls, uh, telemed calls with docs, and they've actually used, you know, we've used a flashlight to look at certain parts of the body, or they've done semi-physical um, exams so that they clearly examine a certain part of the body that is the issue. And like for any visit, Joan, we highly recommend that they get ready ahead of time with a written list of their symptoms, their medical history, a list of their medications. Uh, any re- test results they have that they want to discuss with the doctor and all of their questions. Once it's written down and they're prepared, that call can be pretty streamlined. They become more organized, and uh, the, the visit should go really well. If they need a family member or friend to assist them, that's important to work, work on ahead of time. We have helped a lot of seniors. I think we became IT people helping our seniors try and get this set up because that still is a little bit of a challenge. Lori, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or more about Lori or how HealthLink Advocates can help you, you can visit healthlinkadvocates.com. And as always, to hear more from Lori, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lori. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.